0: Well, I want to extend a warm welcome to you today. I hope you have enjoyed uh, this morning, and we're not over yet. I'm so excited to introduce to you today our guest speaker, Victoria Durstock. I met Victoria several years ago over breakfast at the Blue Ridge Mountain Christian Writers Conference, and I was instantly drawn to her heart for the Lord, and, and then found out she just lived down the road in Nesbitt, Mississippi, and I thought, well, I'm going to bring her in. We were at another conference last year, and I thought, I'm bringing her in to speak to my women. Victoria is an author. She has authored two devotional books, uh, Heart and Home. They're outside ones for Christmas. Uh, I've got her first one, which is very good, especially for somebody who is not design uh, oriented for house homes, uh, but she has a way of weaving biblical principles and design principles together, which I've loved her first devotional book. She'll be out there afterwards to, uh, if you want to pick up her books, and she'd be glad to talk with you. And she's got two more books coming out this year devotional books. One is, um, Biblical hospitality, which I'm really looking forward to, and then an Advent one for kids and crafts for kids and an Advent in the home. So she's—I don't know how she does it, but I'm—I'm I'm just glad she does it. I love her books. So she uh, is married to Rob and has three uh, children, and they're not little; they're teenagers and the early twenties. He has three kids, and she has a heart for women, which I love to bring in people who have a heart for women, like I do. Uh, She speaks at women's groups, at conferences. She is a social media guru. I've sat in some of her uh, social media classes. And uh, she's just somebody that is fun to get to know, and I love her heart. And so I don't want to take up any more time from Victoria Durstock, so let's give her a warm Tennessee welcome. (laughs) Thank you.
1: All right. Last week this time I was in Michigan. It snowed. It was a little colder up there. Uh, So I am awful awful grateful to be home. I I am the daughter of a missionary evangelist. So I have grown up in church work and church ministry for many years. Um, My dad traveled to Australia um, because that's where my mom is from. And yes, we lived there for a few years, so there are, there are some really nice things about having a mom from Australia, although you don't get to see your cousins very often when you live in, across the pond. Um, but we have lived here in the United States for a long time. My dad has traveled and um, been in ministry for a really long time. I actually actually accompany him. I'm a pianist as well, and so I would play the piano, and he would sing, and then he would preach. And um, we had really a lot of good times through the years. I learned a lot at a young age. But there were the occasional times where things didn't exactly go according to plan. This is what happens with live events. Things don't always go exactly according to plan. Uh, There was this one time my dad had um, fallen and his shoulder had had come out of socket. He was in a lot of pain. They had to put it back in. And he was on Valium. And he went to preach. (laughs) So note to self... Um, you know, when you're taking pain medications, not really a good idea to get up in front of people and try to actually make sense. Um, these these are bad ideas. But, but he went and he had me along at the time. I was, I think, 12. And we had our song planned and I'm a, I mean, I'm a practicer because I'm a perfectionist. So I'm always, you know, working on making sure I get everything right. So I started the piece uh, that we were playing, and he was getting ready to sing. And uh, within, you know, I played the introduction, everything was going well, and he started to sing a different song. <laughs> so in that moment, any, any pianists in the room? Okay, musicians in general, okay. You know, in that moment, there's a moment, just like it's a, suddenly time really slows. Um, but in that moment, you try to decide do I keep playing what I think we're supposed to be doing and he's going to change gears or do I switch to what he's singing and I'm not sure, I think he's making a medley. <laughs> a little bit of panic and again, I'm 12, you know, like I don't know what I'm doing. Um, so so I, I, I didn't do anything except keep playing and hope that he was going to make the adjustment. Instead, he, he stopped singing and he looked over and he goes, Victoria? I was like, oh no. He said, I, I think we need to start that again. I was mortified. You know, like, can the earth open and just let me? I never will play for him again. Of course I did, and we got through that night. Again, note to self, don't accompany people who are on pain medicine. You know, that's another another, another learning lesson that had to occur. But uh, Dad's been in ministry a really long time. He just actually wrapped up his ministry to Australia. He would travel four times a year uh, doing four to five weeks of meetings at a time, revival services in churches, and um, it it was really sweet to see the churches in Australia honor him uh, for his years of service, and um, it it has just been beautiful just to watch him do ministry for a long time. Mom had cancer, so she couldn't travel uh, all those years with him, because that takes a toll on your body, and so she helped raise me. I'm an only child. You know, they broke the mold after I was born. Which is probably a really good thing. Uh, there couldn't be any more of me in the world. Now, I had three children, as Cricket just said, and I don't know what to do with them most of the time. You know, I'm an only child, I'm used to quiet and, you know, quiet. And that doesn't happen a whole lot, especially when you have two girls and a boy, and, and they're very active and busy. But it's been such a joy to be a mom. Uh, I, we really didn't know if that was going to occur, but I have enjoyed motherhood greatly, and I still do, even though it's a new season. But it's, it's remarkable, honestly, that we did get married. Our first date didn't go so well. And I, re- <laughs> I don't know too many people that, that go to the fair and don't have a good time. And, and I have a long history of being able to go to Six Flags, and the fair, and lots of wonderful, fun places, and ride rides, and do roller coasters, and really quite adventurous in my youth. Um, and then then there was the date. And we, we went to the fair. Now we had known each other a long time. His sister was one of my best friends, and so Rob was always the older brother who was dating all these really gorgeous women. And I just thought he was my sister, my my best friend's sister. You know, I just didn't really think of Robin that way until he asked me out. And so I was a little nervous, but I was really excited, and we went to the fair. And things went well for probably the first 30 minutes. And then we got on a ride called the Spider. It's just as hideous as it sounds. Uh, Had multiple arms, you know, that went out from it. Had these little cars on it that would turn and spin, and then the whole thing moved as well. So lots of spinning. And so we rode it the first time, and I was like, okay, I'm glad that's over, because now we can get off this ride and go do something else. But the the ride operator was not very nice, I guess. He, he actually thought that it would be fun to go again, because there wasn't a line and, you know, something. Some, I heard some words. I don't know. So we are going again, and I'm thinking, oh, when, when will this end? Because <laughs> I'm not having fun anymore. This isn't fun. Getting ready to get off after the end of the second time, and um, I wish I could say we got off and all went well, but unfortunately, the ride operator must have been the devil. Just, I don't know. He was not a nice man. He ran it a third time. Oh, yes, yes, <laughs> So we got off that ride finally. I mean, I I wanted to jump right out of the handles. I couldn't quite make my body maneuver out fast enough, but we got off the ride, and we're walking away, and Rob said, did you want any food? And I said, no, I don't feel very well. (laughs) Everywhere. (laughs) All over him. Yes, yes. So it's a wonder we've been married almost 24 years this year. He... He, he, is a, he is a good man. <laughs> those were moments, though, that I remember wishing that the earth would just open up and let me hide. Because surely there was no other thing for me to do except get out of this situation. It was horrible. Um, but God is good, and he is so gracious because he allowed all of those experiences to still come together and uh, help me to become much more humble. There is a humility in in those events in our lives, uh, which is always a very good thing. Heart and Home was a project that I really had never thought would happen. I thought writing would happen one day when all the kids were grown and they were out of the house, had nothing to do, time. I could sit with my feet up on the, you know, little cushion and eat chocolate and drink coffee and write books. You know, I just thought there was this really wonderful thing that would happen. This is not the way it works. Um, this is not the process or the procedure. And Cricket and I were just talking about the fun fun things of publishing uh, just a few minutes ago. It is, it is far from fun. But when God calls us to do something, we learn to just kind of walk and follow that path. And uh, early on in our marriage, I was violently ill every single time I got pregnant, just violently ill constantly. I said, look, the fair was the precursor. I was just trying to teach you what was going to happen. So it is number, number one shocking we have three out of all that, because every single one was just as bad, but um, we, I ended up working for my husband early on in our marriage, so we're newly married, I was expecting a baby, and I went to work for him all within that first year. So we, we worked through a lot of issues those first few years of marriage, and uh, fortunately we all survived and made it through. But during those moments, I went to work for him in a furniture store. And that wasn't my thing. I had gotten my degree in music and uh, had stayed and gotten my master's degree in music education. As a pianist, creative. Don't put me over here doing your thing. And that's kind of how I had the mentality of approaching it. I was like, I don't understand, God, why I am doing his thing, not my thing. It's not fair. So 20 years later, God has, um, in only the way that he can, has revealed what the purpose really was behind some of those years of my life when I was in an interior design store working with interior designers and how the principles of design actually show up in our Christian life and how the first book, first book that God allowed me to write, uh, happened to do with interior design and homes. And it's just a neat thing to be able to look back across, you know, the history of life and say, God knew what He was doing all along. Uh, I should have probably been a little bit more cooperative in the process. But I'm thankful that he uses me in spite of myself so many times. And so I thought I would share just a few thoughts with you today of of the way that God does work in our hearts and in our homes and how we can use that to make an impact on the community around us um, in our home. And so part of it is really just the idea of drawing near. I loved the theme that you all have, the drawing near um, with Hebrews. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And James 4.8 says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Right. So we have to do some work, and he does the rest, and we are drawing near in the process. When we are ready to move forward in a process of our hearts, The inside of us has to be ready. Like, we can say the right things. We can even do the right things. I've been in ministry a long time. Um, I've done pianist, musician, choir, singles ministry, youth ministry. Sometimes we've done them all at the same time. Way too much, right? So way too many things happening at one time. We can do all the right things, but if our heart's not in the right place, then we're kind of doing it out of the wrong purpose and the wrong place. And, and so when I'm ready to influence outward, my, my inside has to be ready because the gospel has to mean something to me personally. You know, has it changed me? Do I look different than everybody else around me? And then what is it that I battle with that's stopping me from actually doing that? And so I like to think about clutter. Now, spring is the perfect time to think about clutter. Any Marie Kondo fans, right? When we start to declutter our home, spring cleaning, I don't know what it is about it, but spring starts to roll around, and I'm just, like, ready to, like, dig in and get rid of all the stuff. I I think it accumulates in the winter, and maybe we just kind of acquire more stuff and don't know where to put it. But... By the time spring rolls around, I'm ready to declutter. Well, clutter in my home is one thing, but clutter in my heart's another. Sin can be a clutter in my heart. A disobedience, pride, um, anger. There are days as a mom that I'm probably not exactly what I'm supposed to be. It's easy to get angry sometimes. Get spilled drink, shattered vase just life in general, right? There can be anger that fills our hearts. And so we have to release that and give that back. That sin that's inside my heart, I have to confess and forsake. And so that's part of the clutter. First John one nine says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So just the same way I want to get rid of all the clutter out of my home and make it nice and new and fresh again, I have to declutter uh, my heart. But sometimes, you know, it's not even sin that's in my heart that's going to that gonna really hinder me. Sometimes it's things like anxiety or stress or fear. <laughs> One of the biggest lessons in the Bible that I love when I start to feel anxious about something that I'm waiting for God to do or fearful about what the next step might be in my life, because there's all these different seasons that we go through, and sometimes we're in this waiting moment. We don't know what's getting ready to happen, So, I like to think about when Peter was in prison. This is from Acts 12. So, Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him. A light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly, and the chains fell off his hands. Now, Does anybody else, like, get really, like, into the story and wonder, how was he asleep? He was in prison. He was going to die. And yet he was at rest. He was sleeping. An angel of the Lord is standing next to him. He's still sleeping. A light comes in and shines on him. He's still sleeping. He finally had to get whacked upside the head in order to wake up. When we're anxious, does anybody else sleep real well? I don't, right? I'm laying in bed thinking all the ways these things could go wrong. I'm really good at that. I mean, I can, I can imagine worst case scenarios like nobody's business. I read too much. also watch too many you know documentaries about all the ways that you can die. <laughs> <laughs> I did write a fiction novel, so there's probably that part of it, too. It's a crime suspense. <laughs> Just busy, busy, busy. Uh, But right, we can go over all the worst case scenarios of how this next thing is going to happen. My husband's losing a job. Well, what's the worst case scenario? Oh, he's going to lose the job, and then we won't have any money, and we're going to be out on the street, and I don't know what's going to happen. Well, I don't know what what my kids are going to decide to do today. They're old enough to date. They're old enough to get married. They're old enough to have their own families. Oh my word! It's crushing. I don't sleep. I want to think about all of the things. But Peter was in jail. He was going to die. When Herod brought him out, he was going to die. And yet he was at rest. He was sleeping. And so some of the clutter that I have to remove might be just this anxiety and stress and fear and this desire to have control. Right? I think that that's a lot of times where my stress and anxiety come from. I want to control it. I'm an only child type a overachiever give me a goal and i'm gonna get it done well if i can't be in control that's really hard for me and i'm not in control god's in control oh, it's hard to breathe some days but that's my clutter that's my clutter what about a complaining and bitter spirit oh, this one's hard Moses and the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. A few verses later, it says, But Moses said, The people among whom I am number, 600,000 on foot, and you have said, I will give them meat that they may eat a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them and be enough? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them and be enough for them? And the Lord said to Moses, is the Lord's hand shortened? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. See, the people had a craving. But they were complaining and they were bitter about it. They were angry in their spirits because when they were in Egypt, they had leeks and beautiful fruits and vegetables. Yeah, you were also slaves and you were having to build bricks with straw that they wouldn't give you. You had to gather they were beating you, and you were in terrible situation. Why would you want that back? But God always provided. He gave the bread. He gave the meat. I think about what I'm craving. I think about pregnancy. Those are some strong cravings. With the firstborn, it was McDonald's cheeseburgers. And they used to have triple cheeseburgers for 99 cents, less than a mile away from where I worked on the way home. I used to have dollar six counted out practically every day on the way home. Seriously. <laughs> After I had her, I didn't really care about McDonald's cheeseburgers for a really long time. Even to this day, I'm not really sure that I really care about McDonald's cheeseburgers. But in that moment, it was a craving. I remember the middle was a different craving. Hers was barbecue. Barbecue and banana pudding. I don't know. It was a good combination, though. Um, I, and I did enjoy it a lot, and I still do. So I don't know. That one never really completely went away. With my with my son, I was convinced he was going to be born some Italian, you know, boy, with you know fiery black hair and stuff because I always wanted Italian food when I was when I was pregnant with him. That and Mexican beef Mexi melts from Taco Bell. I don't know. It's just I loved them so much. Like, I couldn't stand not having them. I was even in the hospital a couple of different times, and my friends would come by, and they were always required to bring beef mexi melts to the hospital. Which is really kind of funny, because the other day, I had my son go into Taco Bell. He was going to get himself a a burrito on our way home from picking up my husband from the airport. And I said, hey, just go ahead and get me a beef mexi melt." And he was like, a what? I said, a beef mexi melt." And he was in, in Taco Bell for, like, 15 minutes. Do you know those aren't on the menu anymore? <laughs> I had no idea. I, I mean, I hadn't ordered one in, like, 15 years. But it just sounded good in the moment. It was a craving I had. And don't you, don't you wonder, why do I have the craving I have? Why do I have the craving to sit and waste time? Why do I have the craving to be pleasured watching TV or binge watching Netflix for hours on end. Why do I have this desire to do this? When really my desire should be that I want to chase after God. I want to hunger and thirst after Him. Doesn't Matthew five six tells us, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. See, the cravings of the world are never gonna satisfy me. Not ever. I will always want more especially beef Mexi melts, because they actually made one for me. Can you believe it? That's why he was in there so long. They looked it up, figured it out, and made him one. Probably won't order it again, because that was a lot of complication. But John 6.35 says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. See, he's the only one that's going to fill every craving, every desire, every, every empty spot that I might have in my heart. And when I leave him with every craving that I have and instead ask him to fill it, he always does. He's always so good. He's better than a beef maxi melt. He's better than anything that we can think of. He always fills my hunger. You know, when my mind is focused on him, then I can be more like him. One of the elements of design that I liked just just kind of talking about in a couple of the books that I've written is focal point. A focal point of a room is when you come in a room and you see a fireplace or a beautiful piece of art. You know, if you have 14 focal points in a room, you're going to feel very distressed. You're not going to know where your eyes should look. If there's, like, all this stuff, you're going to feel very uneasy and not at rest. When I think about my focal point of my life and my heart, well, that's Jesus. That's God. And when he is the person that has my focus, then I'm going to be more likely to look like him and act like him and do the things that he has for me to do than if I'm trying to like keep up with, you know, my friend down the road who just got a new house or my job or my writing or whatever it is that I'm trying to do, then then I'm going to be uneasy and not comfortable. Philippians four four, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You know, just as we discipline our bodies with exercise and diet, we also have to be habitually training our minds. It doesn't come easy. It's not natural. There's really nothing inside of us and our natural man that wants to sit and really study the Bible. It's work. Have you ever noticed when you try to read through the Bible, we start off pretty well, maybe in the month of January. About now, we start to go, oh, man, I missed a couple days or a week. And we say, well, maybe next year. (laughs) You know, I'll start again next year. I used to battle that myself. You know, I told you my dad was was preaching for many years. I I asked the Lord to be the Lord and Savior of my life when I was just six years old. It was a long time ago, (laughs) very long time ago. But I've had these hills and valleys and ups and downs and times where I'd be really consistent about being in my Bible and times when I didn't. And I really got tired of it. I got real tired of it. Because I've been saved a long time. I should be mature in my faith. And one of the things that I was failing to do was actually having a consistent daily time in God's word every day. That's the only way I know how to keep my focus on him. My focal point will not be him if I'm not spending the time I need to with him. And so just as it's discipline and work, we have to honestly just make that decision. I need to spend time in my Bible. I need to spend time praying. I need to spend time memorizing. I did a study a few years back um, on the book of James, and the author of the study challenged everyone to memorize the book of James. I was like, I'll do that. Didn't do it. I'll do that. Memory. Whew. It was easier when I was a kid, right? We could rattle them off. Piece of cake. Now, I don't know. My brain just kind of goes, what? Like, you want me to remember what? But I did. I said, I'll do that. So a few years ago, probably about six years ago now, I had gone to the Dominican Republic for the first time, mission trip with some friends. My heart was just turned upside down. Um, a mission trip can do that for you. It can really actually affect you forever. I was walking through this morning looking at the focus that you guys even just have on the walls with missions here. And it it's so exciting because I know not only is the impact overseas, but it's also inside of us. Um, and missions is near and dear for me. But I knew God was calling me deeper. I knew he was. I, I knew I had to make some hard decisions. And so he kind of I don't know. You know how God can kind of, like, press a spot and, like, keep reminding you of stuff sometimes? That's how it was about the book of James. And so, all right. All right, Lord. I'll memorize the book of James. And I knew if I didn't tell anybody about it, you know, right? You know. If I don't tell anybody about it, I can just I can just learn it eventually. So I, I did the opposite. I, I got on Facebook, and I said, I'm going to memorize the book of James, and I'm going to say it once a week, and I'm going to tell you guys about it. But it was good for me because I needed to be accountable. Now, even if one person, you know, cared what I was doing, it mattered because I said it out loud, and now I'm going to hold up my end of the bargain. So every week um, in the summer of 2016, I learned a chapter of the book of James. Now, I missed one week, um, and then I had to get on Facebook and say, I don't know who's keeping up you may not care, but I missed a week, but I will be back. I didn't want to, I didn't want to just say, I'll just do it next year and another time. Um, and through God's grace, and listen, a lot of work. Every time I went somebody, somewhere in the car, there was an audio going with the book of James in the background. It was just reading the verses to me, so that's all I did. I'd get on the treadmill, James. And I would just do the verses over and over and over. And I had to do it in the King James Version. I learned a lot of verses when I was little uh, in the King James. And so (laughs) I would have kind of like a solid beat going in the background. So I had a little bit of melody music going with it without words. And then I would say my KJV and I would work out. It was an interesting time. But I did it. God God just was so gracious. He showed me that a a 40-ish-year-old mind could still memorize God's word. And was there anything special or spiritual about me? No, it was just the reality that I knew I had promised that I would do something and I hadn't done it. And God was holding me to my commitment. And he was like, I'm ready to use you for something, but you're not ready. You won't be faithful in the little things. So I had to also start getting up at five o'clock in the morning. I I don't really like early mornings. I don't know. There's just something about staying up late that's a lot more fun. I don't know. I seem to get a lot more done. And, and there are times where even I think writing books where I tend to stay up late and get up early and then you really are burning both ends of the candle. It's bad. But I felt like God was telling me, listen, you've got to make some major adjustments in your life and in your schedule. Am I changing slides? I sure am. There you go. All right. It's working now. <laughs> you've got to make some major changes and major adjustments in your life if you are going to move forward to what I have for you. And so that major adjustment was, I'm going to start getting up at 5 a.m. It was super hard. It still is someday, but I will tell you, it's really, really cool because it has helped me really learn to focus on what it is that God wants me to think about. I have time that's quiet because there's nobody else in my household that's up at 5 a.m. There's just not. They're all sleeping. They love it. They love their sleep. I get up. I have it. It's quiet. I can drink my coffee. Any coffee drinkers? I get that time to drink my coffee first before anybody asks me a question. That's important. I don't like to talk to people until I've had my coffee. I love people after I've had my coffee. <laughs> but I get to I get to drink my coffee. I get to sit and I get to read God's word. I get to watch the sunrise. I have a little app on my phone that shows me where the stars are and where the the moon is and what planets I see out there and I just kind of hold it up to my windows and I oh, that's really cool. Look how bright that is. You know, that's what... So I don't even know where any of that stuff is, but my phone tells me. But I get to be in awe and wonder about God. You see, you know, when I think about the position and size of my God, I'm reminded of that song from my childhood, My God is So Big, So Strong, and So Mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. When I look at the sky and I see his handiwork, when I watch the sunrise, I'm reminded about creation and just how beautiful it is. Because, you know what, he's awesome, he's big, he's wonderful, but he's creator, he's sustainer. He's almighty God, and he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's Jehovah Jireh, he is my banner. He is my master, and he's omnipresent and omniscient. He's omnipotent and merciful. He is grace and kindness. He's king of all kings and lord of all lords. And he is immortal and invisible. He always has been and always will be. He's immutable. He is holy. You know, if I sit and just spend a few minutes talking about all the really big things that God is, everything else seems really kind of small. You know, there's that meme that talks about, Have you talk, don't talk so much about how big your obstacle is, talk about how big your God is. It's true the more you think about how big God is, when I review that and I think about his attributes, it's just an amazing thing. Because then, whatever trial I am facing, whatever difficult lies ahead, whatever um, tough place is awaiting me, my God's still bigger. You see, his position and his size determine his importance in the room of my heart. And a focal point is always determined by size and position. Which, which is interesting, because it's easy with focal points sometimes to become backgrounds. Uh, you know, shiplap and Joanna Gaines, you know, they have a long history, right? And so a lapped wall could be something that becomes a focal point. It can be a beautiful thing. You walk in, everybody goes, oh, you have shiplap. Ah. But if I put stuff in front of it, and if I put other things in the room, and if I shift the focus off of it, all of a sudden it becomes background. It's no longer the focal point. And see, this is what's important about my needs and my wants and my desires. When I put all those things in front of me as my focus, then then he becomes the background. And that's not really what I want. If it's me, God's in the background. And if it's God, I'm in the background. And that's right where I should be. But then that also brings me to the point of emphasis this is one of my favorites, because a focal point provides emphasis. It could be, you know, an impact piece that has color in a room that's mostly white. It could be a beautiful hanging mirror or gorgeous wall art. And an impact in our heart can ripple outward. See, a heart that is in tune with Christ will impact others. And it has to, because it, it has to look different from everyone else. It's too unique and too special to not affect everyone around us. And our influence is much bigger than we know. You may be in your own home the greatest influence that you can have around those folks around you. You may have greater service in your job, in your church, in your community. But everything is always for his glory. The focus of every single area of my life always has to be him. And I don't want a restless eye. I want an eye that's focused. But here's the thing about drawing near. Drawing near can be risky because he doesn't ever keep us comfortable. He doesn't ever say, well, you've arrived and you can be comfortable now and you can be at rest. He says, get out of the boat. What about Matthew 14? When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And he began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you have little faith, why did you doubt? You know, <laughs> Peter gets a lot of flack but I I really see myself a lot of times in a lot of Peter's life. He wanted to do the right thing, but he just had doubt, and he had fear, and he had a lack of faith sometimes, and, and God had to, you know, rebuke him and get him to follow him. But he's the only one that stepped out of the boat. See, he wanted to draw near to God in that moment. He was drawing near because he got out of the boat, and I wonder... Was he thinking about maybe that God was going to dry up the water and he was going to walk on dry land? I mean, there was examples of that in the Old Testament. When the people of Israel were running from the Egyptians, the Red Sea parted and they got to walk on dry ground. Which, like, if you stop and think about that for a minute, it wasn't even muddy. Right? Like, that's kind of cool. Those things kind of get to me sometimes. But even on the way here this morning, I was listening to the book of Joshua on the way here, just letting the chapters roll through. The same thing happened when Joshua was leading the Israelites as they got ready to cross the Jordan. But you know, God didn't dry up the Jordan before they stepped in. They had to step in first. So when we draw near to God, we take a risk because we don't know what it's going to look like. He only gives us enough light for the next step. He doesn't ever reveal the end. And taking those next steps can be risky, and it can feel like we're going to lose everything. But he already sees the end. He already knows the beginning, the end. We're on the parade route, and we can only see directly in front of us. But God sees the beginning, he sees the end, he knows how it's all going to work together, and he knows how it's all going to bring in glory. Because at the end of the day, everything I do in my life is not about me, it's about him. So drawing near can be risky, but get out of the boat anyway. Because when we do... We can draw near in our homes as well. See, once my heart is in the right place, my home can be in the right place. I think about Lydia. certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us whose heart the Lord opened that she attended unto the things that were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized and her household, <clears throat> she sought us, saying, if you judge me to be faithful, come into my house and abide there. See, as soon as she got saved... And as soon as she got baptized, the next thing she did was she opened up her house. It's a really interesting thing to watch the progression of how immediately she went to meeting physical needs of those who are around her. See, when my heart and my home are in proper alignment, you know, I can then be ready for God's assignment. We've had to do this a few times in our home where we've had to open up our doors. There have been times I've opened my doors and I didn't really want to. And I'll tell you, it's usually when there's laundry. <laughs> Have y'all ever had, like, clean laundry piles? Ever? I mean, it's clean. It's been washed, but it hasn't been folded and put away yet. Okay, I'm not the only one. Listen, sometimes it occupies my living room, right? Because I need a place where I can put all the stuff. And, and, and I, I did that a lot, especially when the kids were little, when they were babies. And so I remember this one morning very vividly because it's a lesson that I will never forget. But I had laundry literally, sofa, chairs, folding it on a table. And I was working, you know, on getting it done. I'm pretty sure I was in my typical housewife attire of leggings and a sweatshirt um, that I wore frequently. I'm not really sure that I had done my hair, and I definitely didn't have makeup on. But I was folding laundry, and there was a knock at the door. Actually, it was the doorbell rang, and I was just like, no. No. So I thought, well, I'll just ignore it. You know. And if, you know, It's one of those, like, if I sit really still, they won't know I'm here. So I did. I did that, and I thought, surely they'll go away. I don't know who it is, but surely they'll go away. But then they started knocking. I was like, oh, man, they are not going to go away. And here's the problem. We had a glass door. It was a really bad design decision in that moment, you know, to have had a glass door. Because that meant I really couldn't even look to see who it was. Then they would know I was there. So I had to go to the door and answer it. And it was my friend Kathy. And Kathy and I had a friendship. We were church friends. You know, you have church friends, and then you have friends that really know you a little bit better. So we were church friends, and and I like her a lot. But I didn't really want her to see my mess. (laughs) Because then, you know, then I have to take that little mask off that I've got my life all together and... Have to not pretend anymore and have to be real. And I didn't, I don't really do that very well. That's not one of the things I like to do. Um, but in that moment, God was really working on me, teaching me a lesson because I brought her in and she wanted to talk. She needed a friend that day. And you know what she did? She sat down and she and I folded laundry. And it was a really beautiful lesson for me because she came into my mess and she helped me get it cleaned up. And all I had to do was open the door. And then I invited her to come back the next week. I should have. That would have been better. I didn't, I have. Okay, next week, same time, same place. We'll do the same thing. But no, you know what? The, the lesson there for me was, really, when we get honest with each other, and we are, admit that we struggle, and that we have trials, and we all have temptations and difficulties, then we really become in a relationship with each other. And that's why I think God uses our homes in the way he does. Because there's nothing like sitting around a table together and having a conversation. It's totally different than trying to have one on social media. You can't have those right now. Have you noticed? can't say one thing because somebody else is going to say the other. It's really, really challenging. You can't talk about God. You can't talk about most anything on social media currently. But that's because it's better in person. It's better around the table. It's better when we can look each other in the eye and believe that our friends are all good people. (laughs) They have good hearts, right, at the end of the day. It's also how we get perspective from other people because other people think differently than we do. I used to think everybody thought about things like I did. They don't. They don't. They have different perspectives. They've been raised differently. They've had different experiences that have colored what they believe about life. But when we sit at a table together and we have a meal, even if it's pizza on paper plates, friends, we get to know each other. And we get to really, really get to know one another. See, God's given each of us a job, a position, a position resources and education and more. And he's opened up opportunities for us to optimize his kingdom. You know, I think about Esther. God didn't put Esther in the in the palace for her comfort. Right? He didn't say, Here you go, here you can be in the palace and be queen, wear the crown so that you enjoy enjoy the rest of your life. He had a plan for her, right? He placed her where she was because she actually needed to be there. She needed that. See, the the palace wasn't her destination. It was just the vehicle for her to be able to make an impact on the kingdom. You see, the broken world around us needs the message of Christ more than ever. And if that message can come from me opening a door and inviting others in, I, I, I can't imagine any greater thing that God would allow me to do, because the gospel matters, Jesus Christ came to save sinners of whom I am chief. How do we demonstrate love to others? We, we reach out. We meet physical needs. We meet emotional and mental needs. And we meet spiritual needs. And when we do that, when we really get to know we can meet needs, we can show we care. See, in Acts 2, they, they lived day by day together. One, they had one mind. They lived in the temple. They broke bread. They went from house to house. But why don't we do that today? Well, we're busy right? I'm with you. I'm busy, too. It's not easy. It's not easy to create margin in our lives. But this is when I have these times of reflection where I go, why am I here? Am I here to be busy? Maybe I'm doing all good things, but am I doing the best thing? Have I chosen what's best? Because, see, Jesus loved people. And if I'm going to reflect Jesus to others, I must love people, too. And showing love might mean different things at different times. But sometimes it means bringing people into my space, and sometimes it means bringing them into my mess. And it's never comfortable bringing people into your mess because it's real honest and it's real raw. But when we open up, guess what happens for them? They open up too. It's an opportunity for them to find healing. It's an opportunity for them to find a friend. It's an opportunity for them to find Jesus. Because Jesus loved people, I have to love them as well. And, and here's, at the end of the day, we first have to see people. It's real easy sometimes to walk through life, and, and I'm talking to myself more than you right now. It's real easy to walk through life and miss people. I have my little list, I usually have at least three of things to do, you know, and I have to consult all three and look at the calendar and look at the day, right? I'm very goal-oriented, which means that sometimes I ignore the people that are right in front of me. I don't see them. I was reading a recent study as I was working on my hospitality book that the main desire that people express, that they feel, is they really want to be known. But see, we can't know people until we see them first. We have to see them, and then we can know them. And at the end of the day, once I know people, I can still love them. See, isn't it really, really special when you kind of expose a part of yourself that maybe you don't share with everybody, and they still like you? (laughs) When you bring them in to fold laundry with you, and they still like being with you? When you throw up all over them at the fair, and they still love you? See, when people really get to know you, and they still love you, then you feel... That love, it's one thing to have kind of a surfacey love for each other and a, hey, how are you? Oh, I'm good. It's a totally different thing when people know you warts and all, right? They get to know all the nitty gritty, icky parts of us because we all have them. And they love us anyway. And they pray for us. And they encourage us. And they help hold us accountable. And so at the end of the day, I have to be willing to make the first move and open my heart because it's in alignment with Christ and what his desire for me is, then I can open my door and open my home and invite others in and build relationships that will lead to the saving grace of the gospel. At the end of the day, that's all that matters. I need to love God and love others. Can we pray? Gracious Lord, I just thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today at First Evangelical. Lord, I just thank you for Colorful Day. I thank you for the ladies that have come. And um, Lord, many of them had to leave family behind and um, maybe miss out on some other things or um, whatever the case may be. Lord, I thank you that they came. And I thank you that they had a time away where we could just focus for just a few moments and just how wonderful you are. Lord, I thank you for being so big. I thank you for being... Omniscient, all-knowing. You know me, warts and all. And Lord, you love me still. Lord, just equip me to love others the same way that you do. Fill me with a passion to make an impact on this world. For you and for your glory and for your kingdom. Bless the ladies now as they go through and face the rest of their day. And Lord, I thank you for a church that desires to see you known and to make you known. In Jesus' name, amen.